Section 7 of Flowers of Freethought, First Series. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Matea Bracic. Flowers of Freethought by George William Foote. Section 7. Where is Hell? This is a question of great importance, or at least of very great interest. According to the Christian scheme of salvation, the vast majority of us will have to spend eternity in sulphurous and tormenting flames, and we are naturally curious as to the situation of a place in which we shall experience such delightful sensations. But there is hardly any subject on which we can obtain so little information. The clergy are becoming more and more reticent about it, what little they ever knew is being secreted in the depth of their inner consciousness. When they are pressed for particulars, they look injured. Sometimes they piteously exclaim, Don't! At other times they wax wroth, and exclaim to the questioners about the situation of hell, Wait till you get there. Just as heaven used to be spoken of as up above, hell was referred to as down below. At one time, indeed, it was believed to be underground. Many dark caves were thought to lead to it, and some of them were called Hellmouth. Volcanoes were regarded as entrances to the fiery regions, and when there was an eruption, it was thought that hell was boiling over. Classic mythology, before the time of Christ, had its entrances to hell at Acherusia in Bithynia, at Avernus in Campania, where Ulysses began his journey to the grisly abodes, the Sibyl's cave at Cumae, in Argolis, at Tenorus in the southern Peloponnesus, where Hercules descended and dragged Cerberus up to the daylight, and the cave of Trophonius in Lebadia, not to mention a dozen less noted places. The Bible always speaks of hell as down, and the Apostles' Creed tells us that Christ descended into hell. Exercising his imagination on this basis, the learned Faber discovered that after the second advent the saints would dwell on the crust of the earth a thousand miles thick and the damned in a sea of liquid fire inside. Thus the saints would tread over the heads of sinners and flowers would bloom over the lake of damnation. Sir John Maundeville, a most engaging old liar, says he found a descent into hell in a perilous vale in Abyssinia. According to the Celtic legend of St. Brandon's voyage, hell was not down below, but in the moon, where the saint found Judas Iscariot suffering incredible tortures, but let off every Sunday to enjoy himself and prepare for a fresh week's agony. That master of bathos, Martin Tupper, finds this idea very suitable. He apostrophizes the moon as the wakeful eye of hell. Bailey, the author of Festus, is somewhat vaguer. Hell, he says, is in a world which rolls thief-like round the universe, imperceptible to human eyes. A blind world, yet unlit by God, boiling around the extremest edge of light, where all things are disaster and decay. Imaginations, of course, will differ. While Martin Tupper and other gentlemen look for hell in the direction of the moon, the Platonists, according to Macrobus, reckoned as the infernal regions the whole space between the moon and the earth. Whiston thought the comet which appeared in his day was hell. An English clergyman, referred to by Alger, 
maintained that hell was in the sun, whose spots were gatherings of the damned. The reader may take his choice, and it is a liberal one. He may regard hell as under the earth, or in the moon, or in the sun, or in a comet, or in some concealed body careering through infinite space. And if the choice does not satisfy him, he is perfectly free to set up a theory of his own. Father Pinamonti is the author of a little book called Hell Open to Christians, which is stamped with the authority of the Catholic Church, and issued for the special edification of children. This book declares that hell is 4,000 miles distant, but it does not indicate the direction. Anyhow, the distance is so small that the priests might easily set up communication with the place. But perhaps it only exists in the geography or astronomy of faith. Father Pinamonti seems particularly well informed on this subject. He says the walls of hell are more than 4,000 miles thick. That is a great thickness, but is it quite as thick as the heads of the fools who believe it? Our belief is that hell is far nearer than the clergy teach. Omar Khayyam, the grand old Persian poet, the large infidel as Tennyson calls him, wrote as follows, in the splendid rendering of Edward Fitzgerald. I sent my soul through the invisible, some letter of that afterlife to spell, and by and by my soul returned to me, and answered, I myself am heaven and hell. Hell, like heaven, is within us and about us in the hearts of our fellow men. Yes, hell is on earth. Man's ignorance, superstition, stupidity and selfishness make a hell for him in this life. Let us cease then to dread the fabled hell of the priests, and set ourselves to the task of abolishing the real hell of hunger, vice and misery. The very churches are getting ashamed of their theological hell. They are becoming more and more secularized. They call on the disciples of Christ to remedy the evils of this life and respond to the cry of the poor for a better share of the happiness of this world. Their methods are generally childish, for they overlook the causes of social evil, but it is gratifying to see them drifting from the old moorings and little by little abandoning the old dogmas. Some of the clergy, like Archdeacon Ferrar, go to the length of saying that hell is not a place. Precisely so, and that is the teaching of secularism. End of section 7